Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. And I uh, am not depressed at this current moment. I love you. Thanks. Uh, and thanks, everybody else who uh, was reaching out during the week, uh, including my mom, who I totally forgot listens to the show. Otherwise, I would have never spoke about my mental health. <laughs> uh... I don't know. I just let you figure it out on your own because that's, I don't know. That's what I do. I don't know. Should I be more engaged? Eh, it's fine. Everyone was as engaged as they should be. Send me uh, things over social media. I appreciate it. That's all I really needed from you. I just need to work it out myself. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I felt. Like, you let me know that, you know, things weren't great for you and... I appreciated that, and I figured if you needed more from me, you would let me know. Yeah. And I didn't, so uh, get fucked. <laughs> I watched a crackhead get arrested while I was at work this week. Oh my god. Go on. So there was just some dude wandering around, and like, where where I work, it's not like on a main road. Like, and there's a chain link fence the whole way around it so this guy like made an effort to walk the whole way around this fence on foot and come in and like wander around aimlessly for a bit and then leave and then try to come back and then we called the cops and then the Mm -hmm. cops came and they chased him and he like tried to run away and then they pulled their tasers out and i was like man i hope this guy like tries to run or get combative because I've never seen somebody get tased, but also with everything going on with the police right now, like I kind of don't want to, but I'm like morbidly curious, I guess. I don't know. It was weird, but it was really weird. I've never uh, had an experience like that. The only thing I guess that was uh, ever kind of similar was like, I saw a guy have a heart attack in a restaurant one time. Huh? How'd that go? No, he was fine. I mean, he probably isn't by now, but this was like 20 years ago. Right, right. Interesting. What a what a weird energy we're starting off with. Uh, spe- speaking yeah. of which, uh, I ran some polls over on our Twitter account that I would like to uh, get your feedback on. So uh, first up, you said something that caused a bit of consternation amongst uh, the community. Ooh, what did I do? You said, uh, is Co- you said Colin Farrell isn't a particularly good actor, uh, in reference it's to... It's true. In reference to a, uh, Family Guy bit, uh, but you also hold that opinion. So I put up the poll. <laughs> is Colin Farrell a good actor? Uh, and I gave three options. Yes, 
No, and what does good mean? And uh, yes, took it with 76%. Uh, what was he good in? Name three things. I'll wait. I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I think maybe his best role was The Lobster. <laughs> yeah. And I don't particularly care for that movie. I don't know. I think, I think he's like many other actors where like, he's proficient enough that if he's got a good script to work with and he's directed well, he's fine. Yeah. But like, I, I don't think that he has the star power to get like the outstanding roles that like the career making roles. Uh, I agree and that's that. why he was bullseye in the Ben Affleck daredevil movie. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I think he's fine. I don't think he's particularly bad. I just think he's fine. He's an adequate. When I think of him, I'm like, oh, he's adequate in all of these movies. Yes. And then the next poll I ran uh, was just in regards to the old guard. Uh, how did everybody wind up rating the old guard on Netflix, either with the options being a thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, and 72% of people gave it a thumbs up. So uh, stop listening to our show. Well, I suppose there's no accounting for taste. So people like Colin Farrell and they like the old guard. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, it's almost like people are really bored because we're in the middle of a pandemic and people will watch anything to distract them from their uh, lives right now. Which we'll, which we'll eventually talk about here in, in a little bit, but... Yeah, so that was, a, that was just a nice little roundup of, of things that happened over the week. Things we were, I guess, wrong about. Well, there's wrong, and then there's 70, both of our opinions being wrong by 70-something percent. <laughs> when did we become critics and not just, like, happy to be talking to each other? And watching dumb shit and being drunk all the time. I never felt like I became a critic. I'm always trying to stay away from the critical line. Because I don't, I don't fucking care that much. Like, I don't need that in my life. Yeah, fair. Sorry our opinions are apparently incorrect. Uh, why don't we try to keep it objective and get into news? Oh, shit, it's mail time. Oh, good luck with that one. But uh, this is objectively bad news. Uh, Grant Imahara of Mythbusters and Netflix's The White Rabbit Project uh, was uh, suddenly taken from us on uh, last week sometime uh, due to a brain aneurysm. Yeah, uh, he was 49 years old. Um, I don't know. I saw this and at first didn't believe it. And then I got really sad. I know he's done some work on like Star Wars and that kind of stuff. Like he he did a lot of the the special like the miniature effects for Star Wars. Uh, yeah, and he built he built uh, the new like R two D two that they used. Yeah, like he he replaced all the electronics in it. So I wouldn't say Grant Imahara was ever special to me. Uh, I watched MythBusters, like I watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, in that I just kind yeah. of had it on in the background while I did uh, anything else. I don't know. I was a big Granny Mahara fan. My my ranking of Mythbusters went Carrie Byron, number one, 
Grant Imahara number two, and then the other one. <laughs> well, that I mean, that's just that's correct because no one remembers his name. Yeah, <laughs> it's Tori Belici. Oh, but well, uh, yeah. he's just he's just there. You know, he's he supports them. He helps he's them. He's happy out. to be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Mythbusters. I'm Carrie Byron, and I'm just thankful to be included. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth, is Netflix's most watched original. Yeah. Uh, so there was a big Netflix earnings call this weekend, uh, or what Friday. Uh, which I was wrong. I thought they were going to do it on uh, yesterday as of release date, but they didn't. So uh, I fucked up. So uh, we now have updated numbers for every single Netflix original movie, uh, and here are the top ten. So we have uh, Extraction at 99 million views uh, within, its f- within its first four weeks. I-, I believe this is all within its first four weeks, so uh, that's fine. Bird Box at two with 89 million that's surprising because, like, I remember Bird Box being a phenomenon. I don't remember hearing a ton about Extraction whenever it happened. I know, right? Extraction seems like it came and went, and everyone, like, uh, Paul ran a, count, uh, a poll in the Countdown group, and it was like, which movie's better, Extraction or The Old Guard? And, like, a, a sane person, I said, Extraction. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I got outvoted there, too, so what the fuck do I know? Uh, Spencer Confidential so at three dumb. with 85 million. Uh, Six Underground at four with 83 million. Murder Mystery at 73 million. The most surprising one, The Irishman at f- 64 million. Uh, which I will remind everybody, these statistics are based off of uh, if you watch two minutes of the thing. So I'm sure people watched two minutes of this and just went, wait, I can't possibly watch a three and a half hour movie. Fuck this. And turned it off. Uh, Triple Frontier with 63 million. The Wrong Missy with 59 million. The Platform with 56 million. And The Perfect Date with 48 million. I think The Platform is the most interesting one there because it was it's a foreign language movie. It wasn't heavily promoted or anything. It just happened to be there. And I guess it started like right around, it premiered right around when coronavirus hit. So mm-hmm. no one had anything else to watch. So it was like, oh, let's check out this platform movie. And I'm not going to say it's a great movie or even a good movie. I think it's fine. But I, it's also relatively heady. So I feel like people could get out of it what they wanted to. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I still haven't watched it. I recommend it. You might like it. Then again, you might not. It, it's it's one of those movies that's like, ah, uh, this that, could go yes, either those, way. <laughs> those are the two options. Well, no, but I mean, like, it really could go either way. It's not like a, I, I generally recommend this. This is a, I recommend this, but please understand that I think you either, that you either like or hate this. I, and I don't feel confident either way. So you recommend it asterisk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Extractions, uh, I guess it's fall along the same lines as like the platform where it's like it came out like right at the start of coronavirus and everyone was getting, you know, laid off for a bit. So everyone's like, ah, yeah, fuck it. Let's watch Extraction. And then 
I, I, I just mean, I think it's a perfect storm. I, I, I don't think there's anything more to it than that. All right. Um, go ahead and tell me everything about uh, the Netflix earnings call. Oh, well, let me tell you first. Uh, the Old Guard is actually already in the top 10 most popular movies and is on track for 72 million views. So if you will remember, The Perfect Date hit, is at 48 million views. It's, it's one of their most popular movies. Uh, however, The Old Guard being... Uh, What's The Perfect Date? Uh, Noah Centineo. He runs uh, a that thing. perfect dating service. Like he, he's like, I will take you on a perfect date, so that way you can yeah. do whatever with it. It's a, it's a really interesting concept that falls apart in the act, it, the the movie. It's not a good movie. For me, the perfect date is uh, April fifteenth, September third, because it's not too warm. It's not too chilly yet. That was April fifteenth or something like that. I can't remember what the William Shatner joke is. No, no, no. It was it was the girl from uh, Miss Congeniality. I was like, "What is your perfect date?" And she's like, "Oh, well, it's oh, yeah." He was yeah. like the host or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's right. The perfect, the perfect Miss America pageant host ever. It's true. Um, yeah, the old guard is a movie. Yeah, uh, so it's at least at 48 million views, which uh, is a bit surprising. I didn't expect it to be that high already. But uh, they have it on track for 72 million views, which uh, some news outlets started to say, oh, the old guard has been viewed by 72 million people. And I'm like, that's not what that fucking means. Where's your reading comprehension? Like, if I showed that sentence to a first grader, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. Uh, so it's on track. What does on track mean? Uh, and I would tell them what on track meant, and then they would understand. Uh, here, instead, <laughs> you have uh, people who have who just, like blow through things and don't give a fuck and they're just like, ah, fuck it, the news. So yes, uh, the old guard is popular, despite our best efforts. Well, we'll get him next time, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. Alright, so, uh, we got some viewing t- uh, statistics from the new Netflix earnings call, uh, that uh, aren't, uh, this is very statistics heavy, uh, this week. Uh, but the Spike Lee joint Defy Bloods was viewed by 27 million people so far. I want to point out this came out in June, and the earnings call are and like the views are up to um, the end of the quarter, so September or September, uh, June 30th. So it's not complete yet. We don't have complete numbers on Defy Bloods, but uh, relatively weak to me. Hmm. Like 27 million people is nothing. Relative to, yeah, like the big blockbusters, I guess, but... I mean, it's not insignificant, but... No. I don't know, I'm I'm a bit disappointed by that, like, I genuinely loved that movie and thought everybody should check it out. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, but then again, I remember that everyone probably knows Spike Lee from... Uh, being the animated yelling guy at the uh, at like courtside at the Knicks game. So, <laughs> uh, then we have never have I ever uh, reached forty million views within its first four weeks. So, uh, pretty good success for a debut series. Good for you, Mindy Kaling. Uh, then we had the wrong Missy. We already know about its stats. Fifty nine million people which uh, is less than murder mystery. So uh, obviously not having Adam Sandler in a movie really hurt. Happy Madison here. 
Because you you shouldn't you shouldn't put David Spade as your star, or in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we had two uh, random ass things that no one cares about. Uh, f- the floor is lava and too hot to handle. Uh, we're on track to uh, 37 million p- views and 51 million views in their first four weeks. Uh, they haven't hit that yet, but that's what they're on track for. Which, uh, considering like Tiger King was like the kind of garbage can popcorn thing that you kind of threw in your face as coronavirus was, was taking hold, like compared to that, these are next to nothing. And then, uh, Finally, Space Force uh, hit 40 million views as well. Uh, so that just shows that Mindy Kaling's draw power is equal to Steve Carell. <laughs> All right, uh, and, and that's it in terms of stats. So it's time to talk about uh, even worse stuff for you guys. Money. Hope you're ready. Show me the money. Uh, so Netflix added uh, 10, 10 million uh, subscribers. In Q2, beating their projection of 7.5 million, and they grew their revenue 25% year over year. Uh, but just a reminder that Q2 2019 was the only time in company history they lost subscribers in a quarter. So, uh, of course, they had nowhere to go but up, especially in uh, COVID 19 crisis area era. Yeah. I forget what was going on last year at this time that they lost subscribers. No one knew. Honestly, like they, they were just like, we have no idea what happened. We're just going to chalk it up to randomness and just move on with our lives. Like, OK, because that was before the Disney Plus nation attacked. I think it was right around that time that Disney Plus announced that they were coming out. So everyone was like panic selling Netflix. And then no one knew the future that Disney Plus would only put out things every seven months. So uh, it didn't it didn't matter in the first place. Yeah, it's almost like they're not excelling at the business that their infrastructure wasn't designed for. <laughs> Don't bring logic into this. Uh, so that brings it to 26 million subscribers in 2020 so far. Uh, however, they are expecting uh, a, a fall off in growth rate as coronavirus continues to uh, do its thing because people don't put on your fucking masks, put on your goddamn masks, you piece of shit. But Dan, what about... Their freedom. They're Americans. Freedom. Freedom, Dan. Masks are communism. Yeah. Free. My freedom. My favorite is uh, when people, when you have the same people who said, uh, you, you know, uh, oh, businesses aren't, uh, you know, bakery businesses aren't making wedding cakes for gay couples. Well, that's within the business's rights. And then all of a sudden they're like, the the businesses are infringing on my rights because I can't I can't do I can't go into the, <laughs> the store without a mask on. Uh well, you can't spell freedom without dumb. Yes. Uh but that means the whole covid thing means that Netflix is putting a a pause on their growth and saying, "Look, we we only anticipate getting 2.5 million subscribers in Q3." I think they're trying to lowball it there. I think they're still going to to grow considerably, but uh, I I don't know if it's going to be sixteen and ten million like it uh like it was around uh the first two quarters. If they get half that, I think they'll be happy. But uh, the two point five is I think is just to kind of smooth it over and say, hey, we're just fuck. We're really all they're saying is we're shooting in the dark. We have no idea. 
We have no idea what's happening. So we're we're just shooting at two and a half. If it's not two and a half, uh, we we guessed. We have no idea. And arguably the most important thing, production has already resumed in the Asian Pacific region, and Europe is beginning to open up as well. Yeah, because uh, they fucking handled coronavirus. Yeah. I've I've started a new thing that's kind of fun. Whenever some idiot says that uh, the coronavirus is just political and we won't hear about it after November, I respond with, I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, they expect US, U.S.-based productions to resume soon. And the other thing they said, which is probably the most interesting thing, is that 2020 content plans remain relatively intact, but they expect a heavier second half of 2021 due to the fact that uh, they had to put a lot of productions on pause uh, because of coronavirus. So, Yeah, I mean, I would imagine most of the things that they were going to release this year, like a lot of them at least, were already in post-production, which can be done remotely. Yeah, and I think the only things that weren't done were stuff that's probably probably releasing like quarter four uh like the the rumor was that stranger things was supposed to be like christmas time we were supposed to get that uh i don't think that's likely at this point what if season four is about a virus from the upside down oh my god that would Wait. be china's on the other side of the planet so the people there are upside down relative to us conspiracy Fucking A, right it is. Yeah. So uh, that that was the Netflix earnings call. Really, the main takeaway is no one knows what the fuck is happening because who knows how much longer Americans are going to be stupid about coronavirus. Uh, in reality, we know the answer to that, which forever. is forever. So yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, th- this was something interesting that happened this week. Uh, Netflix confirmed a reboot of Usagi Yojimbo, the samurai rabbit, who is a long-running cartoon character in Japan. Um, I am tangentially aware of this character because of a crossover uh, between the Usagi Yojimbo franchise and uh, the 1980s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Uh, because I had the Usagi Yojimbo action figure huh. from the Ninja Turtles line. Interesting. So, uh, I don't know. It looks cool. And uh, I'm excited to see how how well this uh, takes hold in the West. Um, furries are a thing, so I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. Furries love this. Yes, I do. All right, PSA, for those of you who uh, have the mobile app of Netflix, you can now remove programs for your, from your continue watching row, which is nice because... You can. It works. I, I did it. And yeah, I did it as well. Uh, I, it was Arrested Development. We, we, we got up to like season three and started watching a few episodes. And like, this isn't good anymore, so we stopped watching. And, and as I did that, I opened up my app and removed... Uh, Arrested Development from my row, and I'm like, oh, it's gone forever. And I looked on my TV, and it was gone. So uh, it, it's great. When it comes to like consoles and the web app, I don't know. But uh, as of now, if you want to remove stuff from your continue watching, just download the app. 
<sighs> now the only thing I have in my continue watching is Star Trek The Next Generation. How, how's, how's that going? Good. I actually uh, watched an episode recently because I had time to. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about it this week. That's fair. Let's talk about The Gray Man. Uh, it's the new big-budget Netflix movie that's going to cost $200 million. Uh, and it has the guy who had to explain jazz to black people and Captain America. He didn't explain it to black people. He explained it to Emma, T- Emma Stone, who is Hawaiian. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. They're, they're in this movie. It's called The Gray Man. It is also directed by the Russos. So that is also contributing to the large price tag, as well as uh, it's a worldwide caper. We're going to be following these characters all across the world. So uh, I'm assuming with such a high price tag that they're going to be filming on location a lot. But I don't know how to feel about that, considering the fact that, you know, there's a global pandemic. There's a global pandemic. Like, why would you? Why would you do that? <sighs> America. We don't give a fuck. I don't know. It's uh, uh the, we'll be able to talk about it more whenever you know it actually comes closer to being done, which I wouldn't expect until 2022. So it's just like a uh, hey, look, Netflix threw a, a large price tag on something else. Okay, uh, why don't we get into downstream? Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! Alright, our first trailer is for Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. It's, it's about how New York City is fighting back against the Mafia using wiretaps. Yeah, uh, I don't know, this looks interesting. Yeah, uh, looks fine. It's a docu-series, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I there's very few things that I care about that are docu series like uh the last dance just hit Netflix inexplicably, and I'm like oh good <laughs> the one thing I wanted to watch from ESPN Plus now I never have to use that service. Uh, speaking of ESPN and sports ball, uh, I saw something hilarious this week, which is that uh Major League Baseball teams are letting you buy a cardboard cutout of yourself. To set in the stands to support your team. Oh my god, I want that. I want that very badly. Yeah, holy fuck, I need to look into this. I need to... Because then, what's going to be is I'm going to buy a cardboard cutout, but my face is just going to be our logo. Because I don't care. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's a good idea. It's a great idea. I want you to listen... Uh, you know, uh, I know we got a Christini out in Arizona. Uh, buy buy a thing for the the D backs game, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do one for the Pirates, and we'll be fine. And people are like, look at that, look at that show. They support this garbage can fucking baseball team. I'm like, <laughs> damn right we do. Man, everybody at work's making fun of me for my Pirates hat and saying that they have to get me a Braves hat, and I've tell them to go fuck themselves a bright indians hat or uh yeah what the fuck jeez that's atlanta i was way off yeah that's atlanta yeah. <laughs> i'm like wait what yeah cleveland indians that's the ohio team 
Yeah. Uh, also, the Cincinnati Reds, but uh, no one likes Cincinnati because it's a fucking garbage can. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And fucking half of them are Browns fans, so. I mean. Which, like, I, I hate football, but even I have better taste than that. <laughs> if you want the definition of a masochist, just look it up and you'll see people wearing Browns jerseys. <laughs> All right, our next trailer is for the movie Altamar. This is a Spanish-language movie about uh, a murder mystery espionage movie? Terrorism? Yeah. Uh, Looks like a a period piece. It's Spanish for high seas. Yeah, it feels old-timey, like a a noir. But it's about a a guy who... Like, they're trying to find a guy who has a deadly, deadly virus that he's threatening to release on the ship. Yeah. So it's like less boring Titanic. <laughs> I mean, that's just factual. Yeah. Titanic was a, a really bad movie. Yep. Because like, well, first of all, they said the whole time through the movie that the boat was unsinkable. But then the boat sank and it's like, well, well, are we going for like an unreliable narrator thing? I think it's more like, oh, this boat's unsinkable because we have too much confidence in ourselves. I was hoping you would laugh at my joke. I have no funny bone anymore. <laughs> uh, Project Power is a movie with yeah. Jamie Foxx. Uh, it's about a drug that gives people superpowers. Yeah. Uh, so it... It kind of looks like Limitless, kind of looks like Dread, kind of looks like, I don't know, some other superhero thing. Yeah, uh, I will say this, it's a three-minute trailer, but uh, I watched the whole thing because it didn't feel like a three-minute trailer. It actually felt relatively exciting. So I, I, oh, I'm looking I forward to checking this out. I watched a half of it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I accidentally watched the whole thing. Went, oh, I I finished it. Well, this was a three minute trailer. Well, that didn't. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I don't know. It could be good. Looks all right. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming this will be a topic for us. So I, I mean, it's August, and it right now it looks like August is fairly barren. So yes, of course. All right, that'll move us to our next thing. Uh, skin decision before and after. It's a series uh, about plastic surgery making people feel good. Alright, the next trailer is for The Business of Drugs, a limited series. Yep. Uh, um, this, this looks more interesting than Skin Decision. Uh, I think this looks infinitely more interesting. I think this is probably the best trailer of the bunch. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm assuming it's six episodes, because they are covering six different drugs and how they're produced and brought to market. It's actually 24, because uh, fuck you. What? So they do four episodes. No, per drug? I, I have no idea. I think it's I think it's six episodes. I have no idea. I was I was just I was I was I was doing a goof. Oh, this is already out right now. Well then. Uh yes, it is six episodes. So yeah, you can watch this. Uh the six episodes they're doing are cocaine, synthetics, heroin, meth, cannabis, and opioids. Did I ever tell you my K two story? K2? 
It's like the synthetic weed. Oh, no. Eh. Maybe I'll bust that one out sometime. Okay. Uh, all right. The next trailer is for a movie called Work It. Uh, it's from the people who made other movies on Netflix. And uh, it's about dancing. So we won't watch it, probably. I hope. Please. Uh, oh, uh, what, what were you saying? Work It? Oh, I mean, that's the topic for the next nine weeks. <laughs> See, you'll do that, but you wouldn't do the show with me where we watch and review uh, Jack and Jill once per year. I would every year for the rest. I of would our rather lives. smack my own penis with a hammer. <laughs> it's once per year. I don't see what the big deal is. It's also Dunkachino. <laughs> if you guys aren't aware, uh, don't watch Jack and Chill. I haven't, but I am tangentially aware of everything that happens in that movie. I became fascinated with it whenever I saw Red Letter Media's video about it and also realized that my wife owns it. Wait, your wife owns it? Somehow. She just had, like, there was just a loose DVD disc lying on the floor, and I looked at it, and it was Jack and Jill. Well, I understand why I was on the floor. Yeah. It's like, I don't think either of us ever, like, acquired it. I think it just, like, spontaneously materialized inside our home. Uh, That sounds like the new Adam Sandler distribution method. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Why don't we hop right along into quick hits? Uh, Dan, tell me about American anime cartoons. And American anime cartoons. So I watched uh, season one of Avatar: The Last Airbender, and look, it's a great season. Uh, I I think my most controversial opinion about it, uh, because we were on movie reviews and twenty Qs, is that I think the whole Northern Water Tribe arc is incredibly truncated. It is shrunk down to three episodes. And it's almost like everyone in the writing team was like, ah, cool, let's do all these amazing things with the Northern Water Tribe. And, oh, shit, fuck, we forgot to set up season two. Uh, Quick, rush that into three minutes to the end of the episode, so before the credits roll. Yeah, okay, we did it. Good, good. Uh, Season two, by a wide margin, is the best season of the show. Don't at me. That's fine. Uh, Yeah, probably, because we're getting introduced to Toph then. Uh, who Ashley is unaware of, and Ashley is also still unaware of the the meme. My girlfriend turned to the moon. Uh, that's rough, <laughs> that's buddy. That's rough, buddy. But yeah, uh, if you're listening to me uh, about watching Avatar: The Last Airbender and haven't listened to literally everybody else on the internet say watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, get to it. Figure figure your life out. What did you that's watch? That's what I said. I said sort yourself out. Uh, I watched many things. So at at your recommendation, I rewatched Total Recall. Uh, this was Vanessa's first viewing of it. Oh, okay. Hey, Kate! So, like... <laughs> that guy's the best. All right. Now, I, that's the first question I have to ask is, is my impression of Benny relatively spot on? It's pretty good. Thank you. 
So, of course, like this being our first movie and me being the genius movie guru that I am, <laughs> I guided her through the experience. So, like, as soon as shit starts to go sideways, like when he visits Recall and everything, I was like, so this is what I want you to think about throughout the rest of the movie. Like, is any of it real or is it all implanted memories that are in his head now? Mm-hmm. And we got to the credits and she turns to me and says, boy, nothing since he was like strapped down in the chair actually happened. Like, this is all, this is all a dream. And I was like, uh, yes, I, that is 99% likely to be the case. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say, I'm leaving you right now. (laughs) No, like, uh, like I'm, I'm very confident in saying that like the whole movie just is false memories yeah that's actually one thing i liked about the remake is they left it far more ambiguous but um i don't know the thing that really sells it to me that like the correct read of this movie is that uh it's all it's all a dream it's all uh an illusion played on the wall of plato's cave in his mind um Whenever he's about to go under, there's like a background character who's just like a a tech helping out at recall, mm-hmm. uh, who's like blue skies on Mars. That's a new one. And then at the very final shot of the movie, that's exactly what happens. Right. As they activate the machine, uh, it makes air, and the, the sky on Mars turns blue. Well, let's not also forget that the woman that he basically crafts in his uh, half-drug state is the woman who he runs into and uh, is is his love interest after he murders Sharon Stone. See, that's the other thing. Like, that's the piece of evidence that points the other direction. Really? Because, like, she was already in his mind. But, like, the one thing that's not explained is that, like, it's it's literally her face on the thing at recall like cuz she was in his dreams beforehand that's a good point and then like he meets her on mars but why the fuck is her picture literally the same picture that's at recall you know what i mean man that's a good point like that her being on the screen at recall is completely unexplained within the context of the movie but like her being in his dreams before he meets her is the thing that like suggests that it was real so uh but that's what makes this an interesting movie um and you can you can read this movie however you want uh either way it's it's a fun movie it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a it's an arnie classic i'm glad you re-enjoyed it and I'm glad Vanessa possibly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, she liked it a lot. The next classic movie that we watched was uh, Airplane. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I haven't watched this in a really long time. I've but, never watched this. Uh, I would greatly recommend this. This is like wordplay the script and like visual gag the, the movie, basically. Yeah. Like... Like everything's a pun, but it like, like like it's pretty slapstick, but it's uh like not grating. Like they they just keep the jokes coming a mile a minute, and like it's uh it's a really good comedy. It's not 
kind of like a style of comedy that gets explored very much anymore because it's like um <laughs> like you could condense this movie down to the actual plot beats and it would be about three minutes long right uh and the rest is like gags where uh like at one point there's uh a couple black guys talking to each other on the plane and the stewardess has no idea what she they're talking about and this old woman comes over and says hey let me try i speak jive <laughs> they uh they engage the autopilot on the plane and it's like an inflatable uh like an inflatable to- pool toy mm. pilot that like blows up and starts flying the plane but then it starts to deflate and the plane's going to crash. So like she has to use the manual inflation nozzle, which like makes it look like she's blowing this thing. I don't know. That's kind of weird. <laughs> um, but then like uh, the three people, like the cockpit crew on the plane, their names are Roger, uh, Victor and uh, Clarence. So... Then you get the amazing joke. You have Clarence, Clarence. What's your vector, Victor? Roger, Roger. All that shit. Roger, Roger. Uh, and it like for five solid minutes, it's like holy fuck, this movie just became who's on first. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, I don't know. I love uh, <laughs> like the final sequence of the movie where like they're trying to land the plane. Uh, like Leslie Nielsen comes in. And he's like, I just wanted to say good luck. We're all counting on you. And then, like, walks out of the cockpit. And then, like, they're starting to crash the plane, basically. Like, it's it's a really tense moment. And Leslie Nielsen just walks in again. And he's like, I just wanted to say good luck. We're all counting on you. And walks out again. But then, like, they finally get the plane down. And, uh, like, the, uh, like the tension is released from the scene. Uh-huh. And everybody's starting to to like unload from the plane. And Leslie Nielsen walks into the cockpit a third time and says, I want to wish you good luck. We're all counting on you. And so it's like, I don't know. It's like uh, just like those goofy gags. And I don't know. It's it's Leslie Nielsen doing his Leslie Nielsen thing. Yeah. And he's he's wonderful in the movie. And don't call him Shirley. OK, I won't. Definitely, uh, definitely watch this since you haven't. I want to know what you think of it. Uh, it's on the back burner because I have so much shit to watch, uh, in, in terms of doing things for Paul. It's a movie that I didn't really grow up with that, like, it's, uh, kind of like Monty Python in the Holy Grail, but like to a less annoying extent. That it's like one of those classics that people quote constantly. Right. But like, I don't know. Like, I didn't really have that strong attachment to it throughout my life. So, um, like, I can kind of take it or leave it, but I did really enjoy revisiting it. So. Okay. And since I fucking watched a bajillion movies this week, apparently, uh, we watched Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat. Now, I want to reference what you just said. You said you watched a bajillion movies. So I came in earlier today, looked at the show notes, because I started to do news, saw how much shit you watched, and I went, holy fuck, did you quit your job? <laughs> I don't know how I fit it all in, but I watched many, many things this week. So many things. 
so many more than I typically do. Uh, so Mortal Kombat is a giant trash fire. Um, possibly the worst video game movie made, like from a technical aspect. Like I think this is technically worse than the Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay, which I un- unironically love. Yes. So this has Christopher Lambert from The Highlander uh, as Raiden for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like he Christopher Lambert's like Thomas Jane before Thomas Jane existed. Yes. Where he's like, he's okay in some stuff, but most of the time he's just like uh generic C lister. Yes. Uh and like he's he's like super phoning it in <laughs> in this movie. And yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson uh created this well before he uh made his other shit brick films such as uh the Resident Evil series. Yep. And the the soon to be released upon an unsuspecting world Monster Hunter movie. Um I need you to go to that and talk about how bad it is. I can't wait. I'm gonna do a special episode about it. It's gonna be terrible. Yep. Oh, but he did here's the thing though. He did Event Horizon. Which is like his one good yeah. movie. Because it wasn't based on that's anything. That's true. I think that's what it is. Uh, I'll go through his filmography. Uh, please tell everyone about uh, uh, this movie, and I will tell you about all the original works of Paul <laughs> W.S. Anderson. Uh, so there's two other actors that I recognized in this. Uh the actress who plays Sonya Blade was Veronica Vaughn in Billy Madison. Um, okay. And the actor who plays Liu Kang was Chris Farley's older brother in uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. Uh, okay. Aside from that, I don't think I recognized anybody in this movie. Um, everybody gets a fight scene. Uh, like... All the characters pretty much get killed as soon as they show up and start trying to do things. So, like, like Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya are, like, our, our main three that are trying to go through the tournament. Uh, they really quickly explain to you that, like, Outworld is trying to take over uh, Earthrealm, and they have to perform Mortal Kombat to save it uh, because Outworld has won the last nine combats. And if they win the 10th time, uh, they get to annex Earthrealm and it becomes part of Outworld. Uh, And then Raiden fucks off until the final part of the movie for some reason and just mostly isn't doing anything in it. Um, So like Kano is a bad guy. Uh, and he goes to fight Sonya, and he says that, you know, there's no way you can win because I know all your moves, baby. <laughs> uh, and then she kicks him in the chin and breaks his neck. Um, and then they fight Scorpion, and Scorpion gets killed really quickly. For some reason, like, instead of throwing the spear, they made Scorpion's spear thing, like, like this hole opens up in his palm and like this snake thing shoots out of it and like what? bites onto the people and pulls him in. So it's not even like a spear. It's like a fucking 
like snake he shoots out of his hand. That's pretty dumb. But uh, like they make liberal use of just like sounds that are pulled directly from the arcade closet for the game. Cause like uh, closet, I don't think closet's the right word. Cabinet. Yes. So like all of the music cues in the movie are just the bum 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 with uh fucking Shao Kahn's voice going fight test your might and all this shit uh and then like every time Scorpion shoots his spear snake thing out it goes get over here I think Luke Hang fought Sub Zero and killed him like instantly. And then also killed Reptile. Uh, also, like, Reptile is, like, literally this really shitty-looking little CGI lizard who, like, sneaks around and does shit. And then, mm-hmm. like, for no apparent reason, right before they go to face Shang Tsung at the end of the movie, uh, he, like, takes over a human body and then just becomes a green ninja that they then kill. Uh, Goro is in it for a couple minutes and uh Johnny Cage punches him in the ball sack and throws him off a cliff uh and then they beat up Chang Sung and then they win this movie's a garbage can trash fire uh I love it <laughs> uh that 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 checks out so uh Paul W.S. Anderson uh literally none of his movies have ever had a uh positive uh, as in 50% or above rotten tomatoes ranking so uh his, his average <laughs> is 30% uh yeah so uh event horizon which i thought was one of his best movies uh no i was wrong uh, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's only a 27%. Uh, Mortal Mortal Kombat is his highest rated movie on Medic on uh, Rotten That's Tomatoes. That's great. So that's fucking amazing. Um, yeah, Event Horizon's full on cult classic. Like it was not critically well received at all. Which, uh, by the way, the the Blu-ray for, copy for that is coming out in time for Halloween this year. Ashley has never seen this movie, so I cannot wait uh, for her to hate it. <laughs> All right, uh continuing with my uh rewatching questionable things. Uh I watched uh The Karate Kid Part 2 since I watched uh the first one. You're just getting ready for Cobra Kai. That's all it comes down to. I'm really just getting ready for Cobra Kai. So I watched Karate Kid Part 2 um from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. Which is a a great joke that I wish that you understood. So in Karate Kid Part 2, uh, they fly to Okinawa, which is where Mr. Miyagi's from. And then uh, they learn more karate, and Daniel falls in love with a new girl. Because in the opening scene of this movie, they explain why uh, his love interest from the previous movie uh, doesn't want to be with him anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he beats the bad guy. Uh, everybody learns something. Uh, this movie's fine. It's fairly cookie cutter. Right. I actually like this one. Okay. Like, uh, I think the first one is a classic. Yes. I think this movie is fine. Like, it's a fine sequel. It's no Spider-Man 2. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's it's all right. I'm fine with this movie's existence. Uh, and then I watched The Karate Kid Part 3, which I had never seen before. Oh. And, uh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, this movie, like, they get back from Okinawa. Uh, Daniel explains why his love interest from part two uh, isn't going to move to America like she said she would and be with him. Uh, so he's free to find a new love interest in this movie. Uh, meanwhile, the Cobra Kai leader, uh, who was disgraced, he decides to fucking um, retire from martial arts, but I guess the guy who trained him or so like there's a coalition of bad guys in this movie who hate Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. Okay. And they're all cartoon villains. So like John Kreese is like, we have to murder the kid because he made me shut down my karate school and I lost all my students. So the guy who decides to finance John Kreese in reopening the Cobra Kai um, is a, a globetrotting businessman billionaire uh, who the movie tells us uh, owns a bunch of nuclear reactors. So there's literally a scene of him sitting in a bathtub yelling at somebody over like, like a really fancy like antique telephone to uh while smoking a cigar he's like dump the nuclear waste i don't want to hear your excuses just dump it in the river and like smoking his big cigar and then he's like he calls john crease and he's like we've got to murder the kid i'm i'm the villain in the movie dump the nuclear waste murder the children so i love this movie because it's like the the shittiest like cartoon villains imaginable uh trying to kill this kid so they like strong arm him into uh doing the karate tournament from the first movie again even though him and Mr. Miyagi decide that he's not going to do it again uh so like the the bad guy the nuclear waste man uh decides to train him wrong as a joke and <laughs> in the meantime they have uh a ringer who can kick Daniel's ass that they're going to make him fight against in the tournament so that he'll, he'll uh, be beaten badly and embarrassed. And uh, everybody will see that the Cobra Kai kicks ass. Uh, in the meantime, Daniel meets uh, a new girl who quickly says, I have a boyfriend and he's like, uh, Oh, and she's like, well, you know, I just didn't want to lead you on, but like, you're going to get a new love interest in the next movie anyway. So, so these people trying to ruin Daniel, they, uh, Mr. Miyagi loses his job because the apartment complex that they lived in, like shut down. Uh-huh. So Daniel uses his college money, which was a plot point in the second movie. He used his college money to fly to Okinawa with him. And then like, one money gambling in Okinawa to like cover his expenses so that he could go to college. So now instead of going to college, he uses that money to help Mr. Miyagi open up a bonsai shop. 
because that was like what Mr. Miyagi wanted to do with his retirement. So like Daniel forces this old man to do this thing that he said that he didn't want to do. But like these people fucking with him destroy the bonsai shop over and over and steal all the trees and stuff. So Daniel goes to find this uh, really rare bonsai tree that Mr. Miyagi brought from Okinawa with him and planted uh, on a cliff face. And like in the process of doing so, like breaks it and fucks it up. So Mr. Miyagi has to nurse it back to health. And Daniel's like, man, Mr. Miyagi probably hates me because I've been fucking up like this whole time and actually says as much. But uh, Mr. Miyagi says, no, no, it's fine. You know, I still like you and I'll still help you out. And then he beats up the bad guys for Daniel and then everybody's happy. Mr. Miyagi's always kind of had that trait where he's just like a magical old Japanese man who can do anything. But, like, they lean super hard into that in this movie. So he's just, like, the guy that they trained specifically to defeat Daniel and John Kreese and this, like, unbeatable karate uh, nuclear waste uh, fucking bourgeoisie-ass ponytail Steven Seagal motherfucker. Like, Mr. Miyagi just beats all three of them simultaneously, like, after Daniel went down in two hits. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it's stupid. Like it's a, it's a stupid cartoon movie. It sucks. And, uh, I laughed very, very hard at it. This movie is a failure in every conceivable way that you can measure a film. (laughs) Okay. Well, those, those are my favorite. (laughs) Uh, so I loved it. Uh, and then I watched Ninja Assassin, uh, which I've seen before. I don't know, this came out in, like, the, like, around 2010, like, that kind of era, where it's like, hey, here's a big, like, spectacle movie that, uh, we don't have to really, we don't have to have, like, a story or anything, it's just gonna be a bunch of, uh, like, murder scenes, and that's basically all it is, it's like ninjas Mm -hmm. cutting people in half and stuff, um, it's fine, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, it's fine, I guess. I don't know. Okay. No, um, I guess I can not be lazy and pull up some details about it. Um, it's from 2009, uh, directed by James McTeague, uh, who I don't recognize from anything else. He, he directed V for Vendetta. Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, there's a lot of, like, bullet time, like, ninja stars flying through the air, leaving, like, trails behind them in this movie. Uh, it's about a young ninja who turns his back on the orphanage that raised him, leading to a confrontation with a fellow ninja from the clan. Basically, this this ninja clan would kidnap orphan children from all over the world and train them to be assassins. And, like, he he basically, like, eventually decided that, you know, he's not down with that. It's like the rest of his ninja clan came after him, and he, like, he's basically John Wick and kills them all. Okay. Uh, and he uses the best ninja weapon, which is, uh, like, a blade on a chain that he swings around. 
uh, a kunai. Yeah, so if you want to see a bunch of limbs getting severed and people cut in half in the worst imaginable ways, uh, watch it. See, I, when you say the best ninja weapon, I always assume you're going to say the, the Tanfa of Takanawa. <laughs> uh, and anybody who thinks that the South Park episode playing with weapons or whatever I think that's called, whatever that's called, uh, <laughs> isn't one of the greatest episodes of television of all time, uh, you're wrong. I command you go rewatch it now. Uh, it's very good. Also, I think the best uh, ninja weapon is a... I think it's called a Jite, or it might be just a Jeet. J-I-T-T-E. It's like a... It's kind of like a billy club that has like um, like a thing to catch a sword on it. Yeah. And it's... I don't know. It's neat. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, it kind of looks like a cross between a Sai and a Baton. Yeah. Um, very specialized. Very cool. Uh, this has been going on forever, so let me very quickly add that I also watch Spaceballs. Yes. Um, which Vanessa had never seen. Uh, how'd that go? I like it. I mean, it's, it's never been really my favorite Mel Brooks movie. No. But, uh, it, uh, it holds up. It's as good as I remember. Okay. Yeah, I watched that with Ashley, uh, before we actually watched, um, what the fuck's it called? Star Wars, all the Star, Star Wars, Wars movies, <laughs> and yeah, that you know that uh, monumental franchise that everyone hates now. Uh, and she didn't much care for this movie because it reminded her too much of Star Wars before she watched Star Wars. So I'm I'm not sure her opinion will have changed uh, based off of that. Okay. All right. Uh, and now since Caleb has talked for the longest time he's ever talked without me talking in between, uh, it's time to uh, cut into a quick break. And when we come back from that break, we're going to talk about our main review topic for the week, Japan Sinks 2020. The Netflix and Swole podcast is brought to you by our patrons, Gerald from Two Peas on the podcast, Nick and Justin from the Epic Film Guys podcast, Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast, the IMDB Journey podcast, Julio from the Contrarians podcast, Ashley Gorski from the Rabbit Ears TV podcast, Nate Wade from the Everyone Has a Story podcast, Bill Sutton, James Delarosa, Ben Kiefer, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, and Dan's mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at patreon.com slash Netflix and Swill. In order to reach a wider audience, the show needs Apple Podcast reviews. To leave us a review, follow the link in the show notes or search for the show on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and helping us grow. Our audience is at the heart of everything we do. You make the one-star movies worth it. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it is time to talk about our main review topic for the week. Japan Sinks 2020. Japan Sinks 2020 is a new animation adventure drama series on Netflix. Uh... An ordinary family is put to the test as a series of massive earthquakes throw Japan into total mayhem. Uh, from director Masaki Yuasa, who uh, directed Devil Man Crybaby, uh, which is a show I watched an episode of and didn't really get into. Uh, the first anime adaptation of the best-selling science fiction novel by Sakio Komatsu. 
Uh, this is a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, putting it a whole star and a half past Tall Girl. Uh, what did you think of Japan Sinks 2020? All right, so I said this about four times uh, to Ashley, uh, and she didn't laugh a single time, so uh, I'm going to try this joke on the general public. Uh, Roland Emmerich uh, furiously masturbated while watching this, this, this series. Because it's nothing but disaster porn. This is failing also, so now it's just not a good joke. Well, I didn't think it was a joke. I thought you were just making a declarative statement. I mean, if I told you that Roland Emmerich, that I walked in on Roland Emmerich's house and I saw him furiously masturbating to Japan Sinks, would you believe that? Yes. (laughs) Okay, well then I win. (laughs) That's all that matters. This show truly is a, a series of unfortunate events, uh, one after the other. Every like bad thing that could happen next happens next. So like, hey, we're going to, oh, the, uh, the earthquakes uh, shook up a bunch of unexploded musicians from World War II, and somebody's going to find those. Oh, and now the... The collapsing ground has released toxic gases, uh, so somebody's going to just randomly die, um, and then this kid's going to get shot in the face, uh, and then we're going to find a weird hippie cult, Yeah, and we're going to have to live there for a couple episodes. So not to get too much into it, but I did kind of like the the breakup we had of the hippie cult because I was like, okay, everything's kind of calmed down. Like we're like, okay, it's like we we've had nothing but insanity for four fucking episodes. Like little insanity, like uh, earthquake, then a tsunami, then more <laughs> earthquakes, then a, a fucking volcano erupts, and, and, and it's just like, what the fuck? This it's just everything. Everything is happening to these people, and I get that that's like the general gist is based off of this science fiction book that like, hey. Uh, fuck Japan in particular because, like, it's built on so many fault, like, it's an island set on so many fault lines that it's, like, it's not possible that it's going to stand the test of time, that it is going to sink inevitably at some point. Yeah, in 2020. Yeah. That's what, that's what August is. Yeah, and this is supposed to take place after the Olympics, which is, uh, kind of hilarious because, uh, we're not getting the Olympics in the first place, most likely. <laughs> yeah. Little did they know. But uh, generally, I I like this show. Uh, I, I know that they've been saying season one. Uh, I don't know why they say season one when this feels like a limited series, like a limited anime series of like, this is it. Yeah, because one season. Because Japan sinks. They can't bring Japan back up and have it sink again. There's certain motivations of characters that I find uh lacking uh particularly the mom character who always seems to want to take a picture of everything is never seemingly phased by a single thing she's always uh eternally positive yeah it feels like she's trying to just like keep everything as normal as possible for the family and like push her own feelings to the back of her mind Mm -hmm. because like she does start to break down a bit like when they get to the fucking hippie commune that they stay at for a little bit. Right. And that's what I assumed was that like, oh, she's staying strong so everyone else can kind of lean on her. But now that like 
things have calmed down quite a bit. You know, she can she can kind of break down because, you know, she's been carrying such a burden. Mm-hmm. What did what did you think? Uh I liked this too. It it didn't like blow me away, but it's it's solid. Right. I liked all the characters. The uh my favorite character died in the like the second episode. Yeah. Like the main character, the girl. I I kind of feel the same way about her as like what the mom says to her. I I wish she would grow up. Cuz boy does she drag this down. Yeah, she's it's it's like I compared to uh Extinction. Extinction uh in in that movie, the kids and, and their constant bitching uh did nothing but ruin the movie for me. Like it wasn't a good movie in the first place, but it it just kind of ruined it. With her, it's like, you're a teenager. Like, you understand the world's ending. Like, you can't be constantly complaining about everything. Like, shit. You know, your problems, like, some of them have to be put to the background in order to actually survive. Yeah. There's some weird turns in this show, though. Like, they just randomly meet a famous YouTuber who joins their survival party. Yeah. And then they go to the... (laughs) The fucking commune. That was the that was the biggest thing. Like whenever that happened, I was like, "Oh, okay, now they're with a cult." That's fucking weird. Uh, I mean, the cult makes sense. Like, I feel like a lot of things, a lot of events that happen, like the people they run into along the way, make perfect sense for what's happening. Yeah, like you have you have uh, hey, the world's ending and there's no rules. Let's uh, rape and kill people, guy. Yeah, there, there's that guy who they then, I assume, murder. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. He he tries to force himself on the one girl that's with them, and uh, she, like, fucking drop kicks his face and fucking snaps his neck and kills him. It's not supposed to be, but it, I, I found some unintentional comedy in there because it's like, she's like, she assumes a fighting stance, and she's like, don't mess with me. It's like, oh, yeah, whatever, baby. And then he just she just kicks the shit out of him. It's like, oh, wait, what? Yeah, but like I, I think it's a good deconstruction of like what would happen in ensuing panic. Like you, you'd have those shitty people that would be like that guy, that would go go forth and just be like, "Eh, fuck it, I'm gonna rape every woman I can possibly see." And then you have other people who are like, "Hey, let's all stick together in a group and yeah. you know, try to all survive together." And then you have your your people who just like break down. Uh, you have your stoic survivalists. You have your you know, people who just kind of go along with things until they reach a point where they like break down. Like the, the one guy who just like doesn't talk for six episodes, who's just like walking behind them the whole time. But then they get there and like, they're, they're eating dinner. Like the first night they're at like the fucking commune. Yeah. And, uh, he's just like for the first time opens his mouth and is like, Oh, this reminds me of my mom's curry and just starts to cry. Because he watched his mom get crushed when their house collapsed and he couldn't do anything. So yeah, it's like a, it's a really interesting exercise on like who, like how people differ and how they deal with situations. Like uh, the, mm-hmm. our our main female character Ayumu, uh, all, all is always like beating herself up because like the building collapses where she's like with her track team friends and uh, basically all of them are either dead or like in the midst of dying and she, all she does is just run away 
Because they touch swords. Because... <laughs> Uh, and she gets this uh, deep cut on her leg, which uh, infuriated me which the whole time. Which looks horrible throughout, like, as the episodes go on, like, the the cut just looks worse and worse. And there's multiple times within the show that they could have addressed the cut. It's just she refuses to ever talk about it for any reason whatsoever. Like, there's she doesn't ever bring up a legitimate reason why she never talks about the cut in the first place. Yeah. Uh, not to get spoilery, there are some weird voiceovers that are essentially serve as like character devices or like character setup for like some characters uh, that is told entirely in voiceover. You don't see anything and you're just like, but what is this from? Like, what is this coming from? Uh, and they reveal it in the final episode. And it's uh, whenever I, whenever they, you know, show you what it is, I went, oh, that's a really cool device. I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, how did you watch this? Did you watch this with the uh, subtitles, like Jap- like in Japanese, but with American subtitles? Or uh, no, I watched it. I watched it in English. Uh, I thought the dub was a bit of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I know they're trying to adapt it into something that kind of, sort of works, but like there's still instances where it's like. You read the sub, uh, like, because we still leave subtitles on because I, I am in a relationship with a deaf woman. Uh, we leave subtitles on, and it's, like, what they're saying on the subtitles and what they're saying with their actual, like, words is just totally different. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, that's something I find a lot with animes where, like, the dub and the subtitles are, like, not taken from the same translation. Mm-hmm. Like, they localize it one... Like, I feel like the original studio, like, when they record the Japanese dialogue, they then make, like, English subtitles for it. And then when it gets localized, they re-record the stuff, like, all their dialogue and stuff in English without access to those subtitles. So they're just, like, wildly different a lot of times. Sort of that. I also think it's, like, so they can cheaply do it like without having to like localize mouth movements they're just like all right what what Mm -hmm. words kind of look like or would be coming out of this person's mouth at this point in time i don't know i i never really pay attention to whether people's mouths match up with the words i unfortunately do it's uh it's a big reason why i can't watch certain foreign language shows in english because like uh we tried it with the rain last year and they're speaking, I think it's Dutch. Uh, they're speaking, like, but, like, the, the actual language is Dutch, and the, the mouth movements don't line up with the, the English words that are coming to the TV. I'm like, I can't fucking do this. And just switch it to the original language. I'm like, fuck it, I don't care anymore. It's fine. Oh, fuck it. I don't know. I don't know if I have a whole lot left to say about this. I don't either. Uh, I really like the logo. Like on on Netflix, like it's uh, like the letters are like pieces of the letters are falling down, uh, which is interesting. Like it has a cool, like a cool font that like visually depicts what the show's about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, now that I'm looking at it, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool. I will say this, uh, and I will attribute it to Ashley because uh, she came up with this. But uh, George R. R. Martin could never come up with something 
as ridiculous as this in terms of like characters being off. <laughs> just just the the way they're they're killed and the significance of the way they're killed, like it's it's just it's insanity. It's it's pure insanity. Yeah. Like uh the one character fights off a violent attacker and then dies in like the most ridiculous way. Anticlimactic. That, like yeah, it's just like so sudden and out of nowhere that she just <laughs> and uh again with like the other like the character who uh, finds like the unexploded ordinance and then like the the hand with the wedding ring falls down right in front of uh their spouse and she's like holy fuck bud yeah it's just i was like <laughs> like i didn't expect the hand I, I i was expecting just like an explosion and nothing else but then seeing the hand i was like holy fucking shit this this yeah. this show went there this show goes hard congratulations roland emmerich for uh getting something new for the spank bank <laughs> It's true. Uh, what would you give Japan Sinks 2020? Like a three and a half. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Three and a half as well. Oh, yeah, uh, It's a five-hour watch. You're not really wasting a lot of time. And really, I don't think you're wasting any time. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, it's interesting to see where it goes next. Yeah. Because you, you, you think you've hit peak crazy, but it just doesn't... It's unrelenting in terms of crazy. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into it, but we've alluded to it that like uh it it shifts away from like disaster porn uh to be about a cult. So, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Uh so with that, we're going to cut into a quick little break again. And when we come back from that break, we are going to talk about our dick pick for the week, Ladybird. It wasn't, it wasn't even a cool dog, like a Rottweiler. No, it's like, no, a schnauzer. schnauzer almost took me off the earth. <laughs> so, did you drink a lot? Did you yeah. uh, do drugs? I mean, what? Yeah, I, yes, to both. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I, I was an ass. Really? For the bulk of those years. Okay, just and like, what, you mean arrogant? Y- arrogant, it was just all about Phil Moon, whatever Phil Moon could do to benefit Phil Moon. Okay. Uh, and I didn't care who I walked on, who I stepped on, who I angered. Have you ever passed someone on the sidewalk and wondered what their story is? What makes them tick? What makes them who they are? I'm Nathan Wade, and I'm the host of Everyone Has a Story podcast. Each week, we interview an average person and explore the events that have impacted, shaped, and molded them into the individuals they are today. In this world of vicious social media rants and bitter partisan politics, we need to put the Facebook down, shut the Fox News or CNN off, and take our neighbor a plate of cookies. I'm trying to do my small part here to bring people a little closer together. So grab your favorite beverage, find a comfy chair, and join me in on the conversation. Everyone Has a Story releases a new episode every Monday morning. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen and subscribe at everyonehasastorypodcast.com. Remember, everyone is unique. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Dan, it's time to get into our dick pic for the week. 
so we're just done with phrasing, right? Jesus, look at that black cock. So if you've never listened to the show before, Dick Picks is a segment where we take a random dictionary word, run it through the Netflix search algorithm, and watch whatever pops up. Uh, so my word was beautiful, which brought me to the film Lady Bird from 2017. Yeah. Uh, this is a comedy drama film in 2002 an artistically inclined 17 year old girl comes of age in sacramento california this is written and directed by greta gerwig and stars ronan yeah but you can't forget such uh, such talented people as laurie metcalf and uh, timothy chalamet this is a 7.4 out of 10 on imdb uh, what did you think of Lady Bird? So I've seen this before uh, because, well, actually, I don't, I, I think it was like during my 2017 phase where I'm like, eh, hey, I'm going to go try to see movies at the movie theater. And I have a decent enough market that I can go see such things. And I remember taking Ashley to see this with me because uh, she, it was one of the random times that she was up in Pittsburgh. And I like it. Uh, I like this movie a, a, a bit. I'm not going to say it's a great movie. It's a good movie, but like I resonate with a lot of things that go on in this movie. And I think really anybody who was a teenager can pick out things as like, oh yes, I, I recall this kind of a situation from, from my high school years. Yeah. Like a kind of a recurring theme is her thinking like that sex is a big deal. And then realizing that like, once you've had sex, like, it's really not a big deal. Like, the difference between people who have had sex and people who haven't had sex is, like, the difference between people who like ranch dressing and who don't. Yeah. Like, it just, it doesn't really matter, so don't feel pressured into it. What did you think? This is your first time watching this movie? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I put this kind of in the same category as something like, uh, like Garden State. I guess like it's one of those uh, kind of explorations of, you know, our our motivations and what's going to truly bring us happiness in life. I had a, I had a love-hate relationship with uh, the mom character played by Laurie Metcalf. Uh-huh. Uh, she, she was great in it. Um, I felt so frustrated with her character at some times. Yeah, uh, her character reminds me a lot of my dad in that uh, very stubborn, very passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive, holy fuck. Yeah, uh, very much my dad in that. Like, uh, I I saw a lot of myself in the Lady Bird character and my dad in the the Laurie Metcalf character and just being like, yep, this 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 was high school and even sometimes today. Yep. I liked her best friend, actually, a lot in this, Julie. Beanie Feldstein. Jonah Hill's sister. Really? Yes. If you look at them str- huh. if you look at them side by side, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. Beanie Feldstein had her, her lead role thing in uh, Booksmart last year, which uh, I think is a, a great movie. Yeah, that's another one I missed, just because, like... Uh, the market that I was in was not great for movies, and now I've moved to a much better market, and all the movie theaters are shut down. Uh, I believe it is in Hulu right now. I'll check it out if I ever open up Hulu. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't 
care. Like I, I didn't really remark it like the the cinematography, the anything like that. Like I think I think the one shot that's actually like excellent in the movie is uh, at the end. Uh, when she turns 18, she's smoking cigarettes outside the, the convenience store next to the mural. Like, that's an excellent shot. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like, it, it feels like a stock standard kind of, oh, it's just like a teen drama movie about this, this yeah, slice um, of life kid. It's competently made. It doesn't really break a lot of new ground. <laughs> it broke new ground! <laughs> No, you're right. Like it's, it's kind of walking on, like walking amongst the, the footsteps of those that came before it. It's just like, I don't know. I I guess it's a more modern lens because it's like 2002, and and this is very much based off of Greta Gerwig's uh, life it, itself. Like, uh, she's currently re- in a relationship with Noah Baumbach, so she took the Noah went to the Noah Baumbach school. Of, you know what? Write what you know. I was just gonna say. This reminded me kind of of like the squid and the whale. Yeah. Something like that. I actually loved the dad character. Um, very understated in the movie, but like every time uh, he kind of blunders into the film, like I I really enjoyed his presence. Yeah, because he, he's that antithesis to the Laurie Metcalf character where like as, as she's like confrontational, he's just like... Very laid back, which just wants the best for his kid, and and will kind of do whatever that means, like whatever he needs to do with it at that time for, for uh, Lady Bird in order to like advance what she wants, because he he realizes that like what she wants is possibly more important than what her mom wants. Right. Um. I don't know. I really liked whenever, like, her first boyfriend came over, and uh, the mom was like, "Oh, you know." You don't have to call me Mrs. McPherson. Call me Marion. Yeah. And uh, the dad came over and was like, and you can call me Mr. Larry McPherson. Yeah, I, la- I laughed at that. I'm like, oh, that's a good <laughs> joke. I forgot about that. Yeah. Dad jokes. Uh, I think my favorite character to make fun of throughout the entire movie was uh, Timothy Chalamet's character, who uh, was the bassist, I think, Kevin? Yeah. yeah. Kyle. Kyle. It's Kafka-esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, he is that kind of character. Yes, 100%. Uh, like he, he thinks he's be- being very profound, but he's just kind of fucking stupid. He's an idiot. Uh, I mean, like, his his whole cell phone thing, like, you listen to that in the context of 2002, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about, you idiot? And now and today, you're like, oh, he's kind of right. But regardless, just like, in the context of the movie, you're like, what a fucking idiot. Fuck, like, fuck this kid in particular. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, my favorite scene in the movie is uh, the airport scene where Laurie Metcalf doesn't leave the car because her and Lady Bird are fighting for no reason. Uh, and, and the way to get back at a petty child is to out-petty them by barely speaking yeah. to them. And- by, by not saying goodbye to them before they fly across the country. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Which is like just top level parenting. This is like, oh, that's great. That's a good idea. Some real smart there. <laughs> there's that. There's that whole scene where it's just like the, you know, it's the camera on the dashboard and her driving around the the airport and slowly losing it and being like, holy fuck, what have I done? My new prison is shame. Uh, I liked it. This yeah. is a this is a fine film. 
Yeah, I know Greta Gerwig went from this to Little Women, uh, which I still haven't seen. But regardless, uh, you know, uh, as a directorial debut, it's a it's a very good start. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Lady Bird? No, like I said, um, for for first effort especially, like it's it's competent. You know, it's uh, it's proof of proficiency. Like it it maybe plays it a bit safe. Uh, sure. You know, I. I I would like to see more more style over just like pure technique, I guess, but um it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh three and a half on Ladybird. Uh also three and a half. Look at us just being so agreeable to this week. Uh don't worry, it won't last. <laughs> I'm sure about that. Uh so yeah. Uh, look for, look for Caleb and I's, uh, hot, not hot takes this week uh, on this week's episode. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, it is time to talk about what we're doing for next week's show. And on next week's show, we're going to be reviewing the latest Catherine Langford thing, uh, cursed. It's about, uh, she, she's, she had, she holds Excalibur and she's like King Arthur kinda, I think, I don't know. Uh, and then Chris Yaney gave us a patron requested review for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, a movie I haven't seen in like five years at least. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. So I'm excited to revisit it uh, and then revisit the Red Letter Media video about uh, Willy Wonka yeah. and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, conveniently they just did a review of it. And it's like Chris Yaney uh, has been watching Red Letter Media since we told him about Red Letter Media. That's awesome. Uh, the cult is growing. It's uh, it's the best. They uh, they put out a Wheel of the Worst episode, uh, while we were yeah. Recording. I haven't watched it yet, so I I know what I'm doing as soon as I'm done here. Yep. Uh, and one more thing. Uh, make sure you check out movie reviews. One more and tw- thing. One more thing. You know that fucking show needs to come to a streaming service. Jackie Chan Adventures first season was lit. Oh yeah, uh, I. Got Vanessa to start watching Gargoyles with me on Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, but my, my one more thing is that uh, we were on Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, which will be coming out uh, relatively around the same time as this episode. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes to Sam's podcast. But uh, we were there to talk about my favorite movie of all time, Independence Day. And a movie that I've watched. Yeah, uh, somebody tried to infuriate me the entire time, and it didn't work. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> you can enjoy the things that you like, and I'll enjoy the things that I like, and we can both just leave each other alone. Uh, I appreciate it, but uh, that's it. Uh, Caleb, tell the people where they can find us. Netflixandswill.com. It's your one-stop shop for everything Netflix and Swill. Uh, that is extremely true. Uh, we will be. We love you. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, look for polls on our Twitter because I want to start doing that more often. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to be interactive. Yeah. Ha- have a, a wonderful time. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday.
Netflix and Swill is an independent podcast. As such, we believe in the scrappy underdogs of the podcast world. If you're an indie podcast and would like us to run your promo on our show, please contact us. The little guys need to stick together. If you enjoy what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and telling a friend. The more we grow, the better the show will be. Thank you for being part of the Netflix and Swill family.